Hi, this is Christy of Brown Girls Booking. As a reminder, we upload every other Wednesday or every other week or bi weekly. We want to thank you for listening, and if you love the show, please follow our social media. We can be found at Brown Girls Booking on Instagram and Facebook. We also have a Patreon, and your support helps us with our production costs, which we appreciate. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm Didi. And I'm Christy. And we are Brown Girls Booking. And this is a show from two readers looking for known and unknown narratives in familiar and unfamiliar spaces. We are two girls reading literary fiction widely. If there's a topic or theme that's been written about, then it's a topic or theme we want to talk about. And today's book is There Is Confusion by Jesse Redmond Fawcett. Oh, so good. <laughs> so good. So good. And if you have been listening to us over the past three episodes, you'll know that we are going over the decades and we've started in the 1920s. And this is our last book written in the 1920s. Yes. And it is one hell of a read. This is an author that I've only heard about, have never read anything from. And so... When you said, why don't we just do, there is confusion. You know, I haven't read that. And I said, me neither. And when I started reading it, I was so engrossed. I couldn't stop. I was just like, wow, boy, was it interesting to see how Fawcett goes through this idea of wanting to be great. Yes. And how that turns into her being able to treat other other subject matters like uh, fitting into certain society, uh, colorism, racism. She just runs the gambit. So for listeners out there, Jesse Fawcett was a part of the Harlem Renaissance. And this book follows middle class Black Americans in the early 19 teens and the early 1920s. We have three main characters that we follow, Joanna, Maggie, and Peter. We find out about the lineage of each of those three main characters and this desire for greatness on the part of Joanna specifically. Mm -hmm. The book is open with this theme about somebody who wants to be great. Yes. And Fawcett forges this interesting character of Joanna whose entire existence is built on this idea of doing something great and being great. And very early on, she stumbles across the understanding that her talents lie in the arts. And she meets Peter when she's really young in what would be considered middle school. Yeah, middle school. And he is impressed upon by Joanna to be more than he might be if she wasn't in his life. He likes her and her expectation that anybody who's going to be in her life is going to be great makes him then decide he will be great. He will be a great doctor. His background is quite particular. He is the lineage of the Bai family, which there is the white Bai side of the family and there's the black Bai side of the family because the white Bai's were from a Quaker um, background and essentially gave freedom to their slaves. Yet there was this certain sense of not looking at the black buys as being equal to them. So they there's a separation. And we know that Peter grows up with this sense of hatred towards white people. He just cannot stand them in any shape or form. Don't want to have anything to do with them if he can help it. And that follows him pretty much 
throughout the story. And then we have Maggie, who is decidedly poor and lower class and has made a conscious decision that she wants to be of the right sort. She pushes her mother to buy a new house, to save money and buy a new house in the better part of Harlem. And as a result, she comes up against Joanna and Joanna's family through Joanna's older sister. And so when we see this young group of people, they are in their teens and are filled with what I think is typical of youth, right? Which is lofty dreams, lofty goals. But what isn't typical of youth in relation to Maggie and Joanna is that they are also filled with the work ethic to get to those lofty goals. Both of these girls are on their grind. Joanna's father... Joel. Yes. The man who had these great aspirations for a job, but in turn, he wound up being like a cook, but that turned into a very lucrative, lucrative, successful business, catering and stuff like that. So this family is not just any old Black family. When Maggie and Joanna meet up, there is a significant difference between the way they are living. And the family sort of takes in Maggie and, they, and then she yeah. working for Joel, which is uh, mm-hmm. Joanna's father doing, he shows her how to do bookkeeping and yes. he commends her on the way that she can pick up bookkeeping so easily. Yes. And he says, wow, she's she's going to go places because she's got a good head on her shoulders. But of course, you know, things are going to go sour because they always do. And it does go awry because as Maggie is introduced this lifestyle into this family, she realizes that a good way for her to succeed would be to marry up. Yes. And it turns out she's in love with Joanna's brother, Philip. The oldest of the family. And I'm not saying she's, Maggie is not a gold digger. It's complex. She's certainly Mm -hmm. not looking for money. She's looking for class. Yeah. She's looking to enter into an upper echelon that she feels will finally solidify her place in the world and yeah, security and that security she's looking for, for her in the and world. her mother. It's endearing when she when you hear her say that it would be so lovely if, if, if he reciprocated. If, yeah, if he reciprocated, if I knew he really loved me as much as I love him. That's the thing that I think Fawcett does really well is we're not really sure in the beginning. He drops these little bits of mystery through the story. And I think that's what makes it really, really good. But the story takes a turn when Joanna hears from Brian, who is dating Sylvia. Yeah, the older sister who is best friends with Maggie. He tells Joanna and you are not the right right class. You cannot marry my brother. Uh, Our parents have always told us to only marry within our own class. And it's a no. And so when she, Maggie gets the letter, it's like a gut punch. Yeah. Like all this time she thought she was respected and liked within the family. She now thinks the opposite. When this is only a letter from one person. I believed it as a reader because in that letter, Joanna quotes Philip. She misinterprets what Philip said. So Maggie believes it. She believes, oh, I was the only one with these feelings and I better get on with it. Yeah, it's really sad, though, because it does feel like a sucker punch. She's not even tactful about it. You know, she just 
boom, she lays it out. So that makes Maggie feel desperate. Yes. Like, what am I going to do? So there's this man, Henderson, who often takes Maggie places. Yes. He boards with her mother and he's quite respectful. He is respectful. Respectful. But there's still something looming about him at the way he described. Because the mystery is, what does he do for a living? We know enough to know that it ain't right. And and Maggie is still young and naive. And just wants to get into the right sort. Yes. So eventually what winds up happening is she does marry Henderson. And that whole section is sort of like an awakening to a certain extent, because here we have this young girl that she's just married this man who's 12 years older than she is who we don't know what he does is a li- uh, for a living. He's described whenever he gets really close to her, like a looming figure, figure that's yes. kind of, you know, can be scary at times. You know what? This is what I thought was genius in terms of Jesse Fawcett. He's described as paternal in the way that like, I, your God, I'm a vengeful God, but yeah. he's also described as paternal as God is love God. Love God. So you can see his appeal. Yeah. You know, you, you really can. They get married. And he, he provides a level of security that she's looking for. There is a precariousness to her financial status that he tries to assuage. Yeah, you know? absolutely. As you're reading, you, you get invested in that part of the story. You're like, Ooh, what's going to happen next? What is he doing? You know, uh, is he robbing people? I'm trying to think of everything. And the thing that he's doing, that did not cross my mind. Did it cross your oh, mind? Oh, is it? It did. It wasn't exactly that, but I was in the ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you yeah. were because I was like thinking the worst about Henderson. But then when I heard it, I was like, oh, that's not a good one, you know? Not for what she desires, right? Because everybody who's in the know knows what he does. She don't and, then, know. and then she's told and she realizes that in marrying him, she sealed her faith in terms of class. Yeah. You know, yes. they're all looking at her like, you know, where did he get this woman from? And, she, and the women who are looking at her like that are Philadelphian upper class women upper class because women. she moves and is trying to make a life and make friends yeah. and doesn't understand why society. Yes. And then comes to the understanding that it is directly related to the man she has chosen yeah. to marry on the rebound. Which is kind of sad as well, because that feels like a second sucker punch. Yes. There she's realizing, damn, I'm naive. You know, I should yeah. have, I should have known better. Why did I make this mistake? And I tried to make myself imagine that I was her at this time period. Right. Whew, that must have been real hard to figure out how am I going to get out of this mess? But then we move quickly to the narrative of Peter and Joanna, which, which is sort of like a roller coaster ride because you realize that Joanna is just a pain in the behind. She puts high ideals on everybody, not knowing what life is really like. And that relationship between her and Peter, they love each other. You can see that Peter really loves her, but you don't see that she really loves him. Well, she comes to the understanding slowly that she loves him. So that's one thing. And then once she understands that, the love that she has for him is not on par with her desire for fame. 
So he's supposed to be studying medicine. And that is one of the main things that's going to make him great. He's going to be a doctor and, and I'm going to be the top of, you know, my singing and acting career. And we're just going to be great together. Yes. Until. Well, he in Philadelphia runs into Maggie, who elegantly does not tell him about the letter. She just says, I was young and I was foolish and I got married and I made a mistake. But he is lonely in Philadelphia and she is lonely in Philadelphia. And so they start to see each other. And Maggie introduces him to her neighbors. And the neighbor is a performer. He performs for rich white people all across the suburbs of Philadelphia. And he makes really good money doing it. And he needs an accompanist. And Peter plays the piano well. And Peter needs money. So Peter says, oh, this is great. I can keep myself in medical school. And I also have found a friend here. And he becomes content. Yeah. And starts to ask himself, why should I work so hard at this surgery thing when I can't get into theaters to see the surgeries I need to see because of racism and because I'm Black? So suddenly he's found an easier way to make money. And so he says to Joanna, maybe what I should do is forget this whole medical school business. I can play. I can be your accompanist while you perform. And she's like, what happened to the medicine thing? You know, I mean, I get her saying that, but I think up until that point, she had pretty much starved him of showing him how she how felt. Much she really loved him. So it all seemed to be very one-sided. She always wanted him to do all of the picking up, all of the this, all of the that, you know, everybody knows love is not one-sided. And so at the same time, he's speaking about having met Maggie and he starts to say things like, oh, well, Maggie, you know, she cooks these fantastic meals and she, you know, serves me right at the table. And and she's hearing this and she's thinking, damn, we'll marry Maggie then. No, well, she's like, who Who are you, right? Yeah. Who are you? Because she's getting jealous, but more than that, a little repelled by what she deems to be complacency yeah. and shiftlessness, which in a sense it is because there was a part in the book about what it means to be Black in America in relation to your dreams and your goals. What happens in the life of a Black person is inevitably doors get closed and shut and you have to make a decision about whether or not you're going to rise above that and persevere or whether or not you're going to let it go and say, why am I trying so hard when all doors are getting closed to me? And Peter's in that moment. And the only thing that Joanna can do because she's so myopic is see him as somebody who's giving up as opposed to somebody who's struggling. And because she already associates Maggie with the type of people that she deems as people who give up. Yeah. She's like, so you spent a couple of moments with Maggie and now you and suddenly trip. Yeah. Right. Instead of inquiring after the emotions underneath the actions. And so things get quite bitter between them because yeah. she doesn't show any care. And that's the thing about Joanna. She is a bit cold. Um, yeah, she is. Life. She's a cold fish. So because of their upper middle class life that they're living, 
they're not subjected to as much racism as an average poor or lower middle class Black family is. They're not fully aware of what it is to be rejected on a daily basis because of their color. And so that makes them all really naive. They've literally been sheltered their entire lives. They have. And and Joel has been lucky, right? Like Joel has this belief that he then passes on to Joanna. If you work hard enough, like things are just going to fall at your feet because he got lucky with his catering business. He just happened to have the right white people interested in him. But isn't so, that the flawed logic of today even? You know, if you're educated, rich, Black person. Oh, it's totally a flawed logic. Oh. But the reason it's a logic that's pervasive is because it's not without its credence. It's not untrue that Joel thinks that way because that was his particular his experience. But what he doesn't person. have yeah. and Joanna doesn't have is the ability to contextualize other people's experiences and understand they were very fortunate. And so she has this idea and this belief that, oh, sure, sure, you're going to come against white people who are going to be racist towards you. And she says to him, if you can take the time to be mad at a white person for being discriminatory against you, you can take the time to walk past it, you know, without any real understanding of what that costs every time you get discriminated against to choke that down. And she doesn't ask about it. And she is never sympathetic about it, which is something that Maggie is. But Maggie is totally aware of that racism and how it affects people on a daily basis. And that's what infuriated me about Joanna's character. But I feel like her character could have been very real back in the day because there were a certain level of Black people who were living very rich lives secluded into this upper middle class Black world and not subjected to the everyday racism constantly incessant in awful ways that other Black people were. And I think there aren't enough books that are highlighted or spotlighted with characters like that. Because yes. we always are reading from the the other side of the spectrum, not enough from people that had the living easy, you know, kind of thing. So the acrimony between Joanna and Peter grows and eventually they part ways and the plot takes another turn. Yeah. Peter decides, I don't know that I do want to be a doctor. I can make good money as a musician. And there is a woman in my life who seems satisfied with the decisions that I make. So he takes another path. And the only thing that Joanna has is a late dawning on the ways in which she didn't share herself. And then the war breaks out. Yeah. And the turning point of the war, I think is really interesting because it gives us a real historical point of view of Black people actually going to the First World War. And I think it's great, those scenes, because there's only one white person that's in the scenes about the war. That's when Peter By meets Meriwether By, his other side of the family. His his white contemporary, really, the person who's generally racially in sack with yes. him. Exactly. Exactly. From the line of people who owned his people. It's a very big turning point moment for Peter. Things change. He sees that Meriwether is not a bad person, that Meriwether is sympathetic to the difficulties that the Black buys had and realizes the fault of the white buys. And so they have this meeting of the minds at this crucial moment. There's World War I going on, one of the most brutal wars that ever fought. So so them meeting is kind of nice. I kind of got scared at one point. I said, oh, Lord, are we going to do the white savior thing? 
No, we didn't. And this is something she did very deftly. She had minor plot lines that I thought she handled very deftly. She handled passing. There was a character in there who passed. And she handled these conversations between the white bi and the black bi and race and racism in America in a way where Peter Bai was like, I have some things to think about. And also he did not let the white bi off the hook. He wasn't just like, oh, well, you're sorry. So the good now. Yeah, exactly. I think they both said their piece and they both understood where each other were coming from. And I think yeah. that's not at all what Peter by expected. That's no. what was interesting about it is, you know, this was a turning point at a crucial moment in history, which was also a moment of fighting a war over hatred of who the other is. I and mean, you mentioned the passing, that whole storyline with Vera Manning. Passing, I love that actually. Lord Jesus, passing and then meeting up with Joanna and not even being able to go eat in a restaurant with her because she's like, oh no, I can't eat in a restaurant with you because I'm white, you know. She doesn't even lie about it. She just says it out loud because I'm past. Well, yeah. because it's something that's big in the Black community. It's nothing new to us. No. And so to have Joanna accept the decision that Vera Manning makes, one, yeah. it shows growth in the character. Two, it is what I feel like the writer does best. Yeah. At the right time, no. she just is like, here's the context of this character in this moment. And in that moment, Vera Manning is like, I choose my choice and I'm just going to talk to you about how it is that I'm moving in the world. Let's figure out where we need to go because I'm passing as white and I need to keep my identity safe. And they roll like that for like a minute because Joanna eventually gets the fame that she wants. a really big role. And and moves in white circles in some cases and rubs up against Vera who's passing. And they have moments where they make light of it. They have fun with it yeah. in this white community. I like the appearance of Vera because I felt as though Vera did work in the book, letting readers know there are sufferings for characters everywhere. Vera doesn't end up with the man that she wants because her family says to him, you're too dark. I think she's willing to be like, well, they can kick rocks. But he's like, your family is the bedrock of who you are. And I don't want to marry into a family who won't accept me because I have no interest in changing my color and no interest in changing how I am. So I'm not going to do it. And when we end the book, we see that every character has had their own crucible. This goes back again with this idea of context. Fawcett really does a good job of being like, here are these people and here are their lives. And we just have to take this into context and see how we grow out of the context when it's provided. Yeah, I feel like this story was just so well mapped out and she gave a bit of mystery throughout for certain circumstances and that's what keeps you completely engrossed and it's really short but wow so many things she managed to bring out in the book and when I'm looking at other classics that are like 400 500 600 pages and I'm thinking wow there's really something for telling the story and having it be less than 100 pages I think that is much more difficult to do in my opinion and she does it really well because she's managed to hit a lot of different themes throughout. I think there's really some things to learn from constructing the story, from reading yes, uh, this one. I definitely think that. I think that one of the things that Jesse Fawcett also does really well is she uses the landscape of the time to really show what's going on with these characters. After the Civil War, there was a space and a place for this 
this upper middle class mm-hmm. black community to version. And then Jim Crow came. And I thought that yeah. to not be preachy, to be like, yep, there was a time in America where black people got room to breathe. And then by the end of the first war, we see this squeeze, which meant that that opportunity was very brief. And she tells a story about people in that brief time. Yeah. And that in less than 300 pages should be studied. Also, her dialogue is crucial to the story. Yes, it is. There is no dialogue in here that is frivolous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. The balance of this novel, really well done. It's the way really that well she done. balances narrative and dialogue, it's always with a purpose, but it never feels artificial. No, it never does. And I just, I don't know, I really loved it. I wouldn't say it's a perfect book, but it's really, really good. So if y'all are listening to this out here, y'all need to get this book. If you are going to be talking about the Black female Harlem Renaissance literary canon, and you have not read anything by Jesse Fawcett, you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. For most people, Jesse Redmond Fawcett is Plum Bun. That's the one everybody thinks of. That's the one that everybody knows because that's the one being fronted as the book to read by Fawcett. And so this is where we have to be real careful as avid readers about just sticking to what is expected and being a little bit more thorough about reading more older works from the particular writer that, you know, we say that we're interested in. I think that that's human to gravitate toward the thing that's been most co-signed on because there is a reason for that. But everybody has a body of work. And so I would recommend just read the body of work. I'm going to read everything now by Jesse Fawcett. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've read Plum Bun. I haven't read it yet. So that will be where I will go next. So I highly recommend this. And we will be back where we will be discussing... The 1930s. The 1930s. And we're going to begin with... The Big Sleep. So please join us for our talk on The Big Sleep, the first of our four books in the 1930s. Bye. Bye.